You know, it's been said that well, the first test to know that the God that you believe in is the God of the Bible is that God doesn't always do what you want him to do. Here, we see that in Paul's missionary journey. Paul has plans, but God has other plans. See, if we had a God that only did what we wanted to do, we wouldn't have God. Oh, we'd just have the figment of our own imagination. God has higher purposes. And we find here in verse 6, Paul has a desire to go and bring the gospel to Asia. He wants to uh, go take a right turn, and he is hindered. He is hindered not by mere circumstance, but he's hindered by the Holy Spirit. Luke tells us that Paul was forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And again, Paul uh, continues trying to find which way to go, and again, he finds obstacles. Verse 7, And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go to, into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. The question of how they knew what the Holy Spirit was saying, how this was communicated to them, and we have to think about that for our own present context. How do we know where the Lord is leading us in life? Well, there, there are several different ways the Lord leads us in life. Uh, first off is His providence. Uh, secondly, the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, uh, our own innate passions and gifting. So think of the providence of God. There are times that we want to go somewhere, and we find that we cannot go there. I'm reminded of where we used to live in Alabama. There were days and times where if you wanted to go to Bruton, you couldn't, because intersecting East Bruton and Bruton was the railroad track. And there was no way around the railroad track. You hit the railroad track, and the train was stopped on the track, which was fairly often because the lumber mill and the foundry were right there. You weren't going to town. We live our lives uh, out of control of a lot of things. We might think we want to go certain places certain times and yet find ourselves overridden by the providence of God. Think of an example of this in church history. Charles Haddon Spurgeon began his uh, life of ministry at a small rural church, uh, Water Beach, uh, out in the Colchester area of England. And he drew the attention of uh, somebody who had a, a training academy for ministers. And so he was invited to meet with him about the possibility of enrollment. He makes his way uh, there. He uh, announces his arrival to the secretary. The secretary gets distracted with other things. And after sitting a whole day in the waiting room, waiting for this gentleman who had invited him uh, to explore the possibility of further ministry education, he never meets with the guy. And he determines from that the Lord was closing that door, that the providence of God was leading him elsewhere. And upon returning home shortly after, he received the call to what would be his lifetime labor at the new Park Street Church in London, a historic Baptist church where he led that church. No one knows what course his life would have taken. He thanks God that that secretary forgot to announce his arrival to the man that he was supposed to meet with. 
psalmist says that our times are in his hands. We, we find ourselves, so many aspects of our lives, we don't have control over. We didn't get to decide when we were born. Nobody got to decide, okay, I want to be born in this year as opposed to this year. Well, that's out of our control. Where we are born, we have no control in that. And those have severe limiting factors in what we can do with our lives. We have to trust in God's providential leading. Knowing uh, that he's not absent, but he's involved. It's possible that Paul could have uh, began uh, making the journey and found the road washed out and realized, okay, we can't make our way now because the way is blocked. The Lord has a way of blocking our ways. Uh, there are things that we decide that we want to do, and the Lord closes those doors for us. Now, if you think about your life, we often don't reflect upon the doors that were closed for us. We often reflect upon the open doors that we had. But in many of our cases, God had to close many doors to get us through the right doors. And that's what God is doing for Paul here. Through his providence, he's guiding Paul where he wants Paul to be. Paul really doesn't understand each and every step. It's not as if... Uh, Route 1 is closed, and Paul knows automatically where to go. He's searching out what the will of the Lord is, and God is providing direction for him. And he does for us today. We find ourselves where we are, when we are. Because you're here today, you know that your mission field is Mercer County. It's Harrodsburg. You're not here by accident. Uh, God has brought you here. Not all of you are originally native to here, like myself. I'm not native here. I'm not even a native Kentuckian. I, I think about that a lot. Most of the pastors in our county, in our association, they're native Kentuckians, uh, born and spent some significant amount of their life here, I think I'm one of the very few that's not uh, born or raised here in Kentucky. But here I am by divine design. So God's providence has a way of directing us. The prompting of the Spirit directs us. Uh, sometimes uh, we might be set on a course of action and then we have a growing discomfort with it. And uh, we realize that we might be outside the Lord's will. Well, we can't put our finger on it, and it doesn't have the weight of Scripture to it, uh, but we, we have to trust those promptings when we realize uh, that to go in a certain direction might be outside the will of God. Well, we have to trust His prompting. Our passions. Uh, Paul's overriding passion is that he wants to preach Christ. Wherever you put him, Paul is going to preach Christ. As we're going to see next year, you could put Paul in prison, and he's going to preach Christ. And sometimes the Lord adds to our passions through this providence. I think of the uh, missionary pioneer, Hudson Taylor, who started the China Inland Mission. When he was beginning his studies, uh, he was studying ministry and trying to learn languages, and somehow... By accident, uh, some books on China uh, ended up getting mixed in by someone with uh, other books that he was going to be reading. 
And so by accident, he reads about the desperate spiritual condition of China, and the Lord awakens a passion in his life uh, that China needs the gospel, and he's going to do whatever God requires of him to bring the gospel to China. And he does. Our passions, when they're in line with Scripture, are a powerful instrument in God giving us direction in life. There are individuals who have a passion for working with Muslims. If an individual has a passion for working with Muslims, then it's very clear that that's what they ought to be doing. You know, in our own we're nominating committee season, now, there might be individuals that don't have the patience to work with children. Well, because you know, your passions aren't aligned in that way, uh, jumping up and volunteering on the nursery probably wouldn't be the most wise and prudent course of action. God gives us temperaments uh, that shape and direct uh, how he would use us. So we see that God can direct us through providence. He can direct us through prompting. He directs us through our passions. And here, uh, he, he's directing Paul through one of those means. We're not exactly sure how, but he's guiding Paul where Paul needs to go. Door one, closed. He can't go to Asia. Door number two, closed. The Spirit of Jesus does not allow them to go to Bithynia. So they make their way to Troas. It's very interesting how things go in Troas. We're told that Troas is one of the principal cities. It's a major metropolis. Uh, one would think uh, that uh, Paul would have uh, his work cut out for him, uh, that there'd be a wide opportunity, that there'd be synagogues galore for him to go in and preach Christ to. That's not what we find. We're told that, that verse 9, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision immediately, and no, notice this is where Luke tags along. We don't know how he becomes uh, uh, involved. We just know from here on out Luke is Paul's traveling companion. So it goes from Paul to we. We sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So Paul has his course. He has his direction in life. He's going to Macedonia. He's going to leave from Troas. He's going to make his way to Philippi. He's going to make his way to this principal city, this major metropolis in Macedonia, which is also a Roman colony. Sounds like things are going to be off to a big start. It says in verse 11, so setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. One's expecting a big start. It's a large city, and yet that's not exactly how things play out for Paul. Notice what Luke tells us about that Sabbath day. Now, in order to have a synagogue constructed, a city required at least ten Jewish men. Notice where Paul doesn't go. He doesn't go to a synagogue, which means 
there aren't enough Jews within Philippi for there to be a synagogue. So there's not a lot of familiarity with the Old Testament. In fact, it, it gets even more difficult, humanly speaking. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, which we supposed there was a place of prayer. If there weren't enough Jewish men to have a synagogue, they would go to a place with moving water so that they could have prayer there. There's not even ten men there. So those who fear God there are women who were least influential in society. So he's teaching. He doesn't allow that to hinder him. He doesn't think, okay, there's no men here. This is a small start. We need to be moving elsewhere. He understands that despite this small start, he is where he is by divine design. Again, where we suppose there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. And one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira. Now, just to give you a geography lesson, Thyatira is not in Macedonia. Thyatira is not in Europe. Thyatira is in what was considered Asia. So here, God has directed Paul away from Asia to reach a woman who was from Asia. The Lord works in ways that we cannot fathom. So there Lydia is from the city of Thyatira, from the region of the world that Paul was trying to bring the gospel to. And there, Lydia is, a seller of purple goods, a woman who works in commerce, who was a worshiper of God. She was a God-fearer. She had come to know the God of the Old Testament, and so she was a worshiper. She wasn't of a Jewish background, but she was a Gentile who had come to know the one true and living God. And there, God worked. Luke is very clear that this isn't Paul being incredibly persuasive. He's clear that God is at work. We, we, we have to remember sometimes what we think in our evangelism, in our ministry, that it all falls upon us. I think sometimes uh, that causes us great fear. Dr. Bucher, professor of evangelism at Southern seminary wrote a book called Overcoming Walls to Witnessing, and one of the walls uh, that he says that people have for witnessing is that they think it all depends upon them, that if they're not intelligent enough in their persuasion, in their presentation of the gospel, if they're not persuasive enough, that somehow the gospel will not do what it's intended to do. Notice what Luke doesn't say. It doesn't say that Paul was incredibly intelligent, articulate, and persuasive, and therefore Lydia believed the gospel. Notice what Luke does say. It says, the Lord opened her heart. The Lord opened her heart. See, we have to remember, when we are doing the Lord's work as the Lord has directed us, God is going to do His part. God is going to work. 
The work of the ministry, the advancement of the gospel depends upon God doing his work. It doesn't depend upon us being impressive. I think God is teaching Paul an important lesson uh, that lasted uh, with him. Paul understood that it wasn't <coughs> his own strength and power that impressed people, but it was the power of a crucified Christ. Paul would later on write the church of Corinth, telling them, in verse 10 of chapter 1 of Corinthians, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it is reported to me by Chloe's people that there's quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, I follow Paulus, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. And he goes on, verse 17, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Verse 18, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where then is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Paul's learning that this ministry, this gospel advance, isn't going to depend upon him and his eloquence and his intelligence. It's going to depend upon God doing his part. See, I think we forget that. And because we forget that, we are so closed-mouthed. We're afraid that we're going to make a mess of things when we try to tell people about Jesus. I've heard individuals say that they don't evangelize because they're afraid they're going to do more harm than good. Goodness. To have that, that high view of yourself that you think that in telling somebody the gospel, you, you could eternally damn them. That you could somehow override God's work in their heart. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Her heart was so open that she believed. And we know that because of verse 15. And after she was baptized, and her household as well. God opened her heart, opened her mind so that she would trust in Christ for salvation. And she did. She was baptized. And her household as well. She urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed Upon us. This woman was remarkably saved. The Lord opened her mind to the gospel and she believed. And she wanted to become an active participant in this mission. And so she offers to house Paul. Remember, Paul's a, a traveling evangelist. He doesn't have a home, he doesn't know anyone there. And so she opens up her home. And it doesn't seem the most auspicious of starts. Well, here Paul was trying to make it to Asia and Bithynia. He's come to the principal city, and he has one 
convert, plus her household, one family has trusted Christ. Doesn't seem like a big start, but God does big things from small starts uh, because we understand that this church continued to grow, continued to thrive because God was working. D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, once said uh, that you need to find out where God is working and then work there. Find out what God is doing and join yourself to his work. See, so often we start with what we want to do. You know, we, we might think, okay, th these are the type of people I'll bring the gospel to, but not these. We, we have preconditions on our obedience. I think of my own life. Uh, when I was in college, I, I used to tell my classmates that I would never be a youth pastor and that I would never come back to Georgia to minister. I did not like the state convention. It was a mess, and history's proved that out. Uh, but my first ministry position was a, as youth pastor in Georgia, and it was no less uh, the church that my college roommate had grown up in. And I didn't know that when I applied there. God had closed door after door in my face. And I'm thankful for those closed doors that led me to that open door. A door that I would have never picked for myself. I think of what God did during my time there and during my time at Memorial Baptist Church where I served. I think of individuals that were saved there. Now, I went through experiences I would have never chose for myself in ministry at my first pastorate at Memorial Baptist, but... There were individuals that were led to saving faith in Christ because of my ministry there. Now, I would have never really, you know, if I were planning my life out perfectly, I would have never gone to South Alabama in hurricane territory, but I think even there, where God opened a door, and individuals who were saved through my ministry there who might not have been saved otherwise. God, God is guiding us. God is directing us. You have to understand, if you're a believer in Christ, you have the friends that you have, you have the co-workers that you have, you have the family that you have by divine design. God is placing you where you are, when you are, with who you are, so that you would share Christ with them. See, you don't need a vision in the night to tell you where to go. God's placed you there. So Paul's a missionary. He has to know which way to go. You're settled. Unless the Lord calls you, which praise be to God if he does, you know where your field of ministry is. If you're a believer in Christ, your field of ministry is here. And those that you know just like the vision that Paul has, are saying, help us. Now, when we look at the lostness in our community, when we look at the addiction, when you think of your families that might be bound up in a Christless lifestyle, what they're doing is they're saying, help us. And God has placed you in their life so that you would. The most helpful thing that you can do for anyone the most th helpful thing that you can do for anyone 
It isn't paying their rent. It's not paying their water bill. It's not paying their electric bill. It's not putting a roof over their head or food on their tables. Those are good things. But the most helpful thing that you could ever do for someone is to tell them of Christ. Tell them of Christ who laid down His life for them, who died in their place for their sins, who rose again victorious over Satan's sin and the devil so that through faith in Him they could have eternal life. Here Paul is, he's guided, he's directed through a series of closed doors. And he does exactly that for Lydia. And just as God had opened the door for Paul, he opened her heart to pay attention so that she would believe and be saved. So God's work depends upon God working. God works when we're faithful to him. As we think about where we find ourselves in, we understand that we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to think, well, what if I make a hash of the gospel and uh, I'm not clear? What if I'm not amusing or interesting enough? When we walk in the good works which God has prepared beforehand for us to walk in, God works. God works in us and through us. Just as he did Paul. Again, look at that. The Lord. Not Paul. Not his impressiveness and persuasiveness. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. I'm pretty sure. I'm not a betting man, but if I were to bet... I'm betting each and every one of you know somebody that does not know Christ. And some of you might have been afraid to share Christ with them. Afraid that somehow you're going to do something that will make things worse than they already are. How are you going to make things worse than they already are? This person that you know, your friend, your family member, your co-worker, they are one breath away from meeting God in judgment and being separated from God by eternity in hell. You don't get much worse than that. You're not going to make things worse, but you have the promise that God is going to work through that. It might not be immediate like Lydia was, God had obviously been working in her life. She was a worshiper of God. And it might take years. You might plant that seed of the gospel. You might tell them about Jesus and somebody else. What does Paul say to the church of Corinth? I planted, but Paulus watered. But God gave the increase. When we're faithful to follow the direction that God gives us, God works. God's word doesn't fail. We're going to come to a time of invitation. I, I would encourage you during this time of invitation, if you're a believer in Christ, pray that God would give you the holy boldness so that he has promised you in his word because Paul tells Timothy, his traveling companion later on in life, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and self-control that you would have that spirit of courage to share the gospel, trusting that God would do his work. If you're not a believer, I, I tell you, you are one breath away from eternity. And to die without Christ is to face eternal torment in hell. God has made a way 
one way, and as the apostles have borne witness to, there is salvation in no other name. Jesus himself bore witness. He is the way, the truth, and life. None may come to the Father except through him. So if you've not placed your faith in Christ, you stand one breath away from meeting your judge, who will, if you have not trusted in Christ, cast you out of his presence into the outer darkness with weeping and gnashing of teeth, and you will discover true misery for all of eternity, and you will only have yourself to blame because Christ has invited you to come. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy, and we pray that if there are any here this morning who have not trusted in Christ, that the gravity of their situation would weigh upon them and that you would uh, uh, open their minds and open their hearts to believe in Christ. We pray for those of us who are believers that you would give us a holy boldness to make much of Jesus. For this we pray in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen.